Hey everybody, welcome back to Talking Transfers, 90 Min Football's, yes, you've guessed it, transfer podcast. I'm your host today, Harry Simeu, stepping in for Scott Saunders, who's off around the world sunning himself at the moment. I'm sure he's having a wonderful time and ignoring all the Manchester United talk. But alongside me, as always, uh, 90 Min's transfer correspondent, Graham Bailey. Graham, how are you doing? Yeah, good morning, Harry. Great, thank you very much. Transfer season hotting up nicely. Yeah, you must be incredibly busy, Graham. I don't envy you at the moment. And also joining us is the main man at 90min.com, Toby Cudworth. How are you doing, sir? Very good, mate. Not quite as hot as uh, Scott Saunders is. He's currently in Austin, Texas, for those wondering where he's gone to. So he's in 40-degree heat, and we're in, what, 16, 7-degree cloud in London? But, yeah, we're all right, mate. We're all right. We're, we're, we're cracking on. We've got lots of work to be getting on with, as uh, Graham says. The transfer silly season is well underway. And we're going to start off by discussing uh, Chelsea and, in particular, their interest in uh, AC Milan star Rafael Leal, who they're supposedly looking at as they consider possible replacements for Romelu Lukaku. Graham, do you want to give us the download on this one? Yeah, it's emerging that he is um, a target who Chelsea are looking at. Obviously, the... Uh... Losing, not losing, they're allowing Romelu, I'll get out there eventually, Lukaku to leave. You know, he is a massive um, imprint of the Abramovich era, isn't he, Lukaku? He's the last big sign and he was a sign that Abramovich himself really wanted. And it just hasn't worked out, as we discussed previously. He's going to be on his way. AC Milan firm favourites to get him back. There is interest, we know, from Barcelona and Bayern. They keep an interest. And, you know, with Lewandowski possibly leaving... If Barcelona don't game, you, you could see them too having that interest in Lukaku. But as it stands, we know his lawyers have had talks with him. So there was a few tax issues that he had to get over, but I don't see that being a major problem. So yeah, into have have Lukaku and Dybala firmly in their sights, and across the city is where Chelsea are, are paying some attention to um, Rafael Leao, who had a sensational season for Milan last year, led them to the title. He was voted their MVP. Which I didn't realise was a th- was a thing in Italy, um, but yeah, he was the most valuable player in Serie A. He had a fabulous campaign. We do know Milan are looking to get him to a new deal because I believe his release clause is clause is only 150 million euros, which wouldn't stop a team like a Chelsea coming in for him. So they're they are a bit at risk there um, from p- clubs looking at him. Man City are being linked, Liverpool, but yeah, this is one who we are told from our sources that Chelsea are taking a close look at. Toby, this is an interesting one, right? Rafael Leal, 11 goals and 10 assists in the Serie A last season in 34 appearances. Um, But he's not really an out-and-out centre-forward. So are you surprised that Chelsea are potentially looking at him as a Lukaku replacement? Yes and no. We've spoken a lot over the last few weeks on the podcast that forwards in the modern game are more versatile and they tend to play in two or three forward positions. They can play either down the middle, on the left or on the right. Um, Rafael Leal can play down the middle. He primarily operates on the left-hand side. Um, So he would fit what Chelsea need if they want to play him through the middle. And a lot will depend on what Thomas Tuchel decides to do formation-wise, decides to do with Timo Werner, for example, because this isn't just about what happens with Lukaku, I guess, this summer. Yes, he's looking likely to go, but Werner could potentially go back down the middle if he didn't leave Chelsea allowing Leal to go on the left-hand side. And there's not an abundance of available out-and-out strikers outside of perhaps Robert Lewandowski. 
but he clearly wants to go to Barcelona. That's the club that he has eyes for. So Chelsea have to keep their options open and look at different kinds of forwards. And Liao has long been tipped to go to the top of the game. I think his first season at Milan um, was a little underwhelming, perhaps, for the hype after he arrived from Lille. He then showed signs in his second year at the San Siro of what he can do. And then, as Graham says, last year he was utterly brilliant. And Milan won the title, not because of him, but he was a huge contributing factor for Milan's success. So Chelsea looking at him makes sense. And look, they've got Kai Havertz that they could play as a false nine, depending on the system that Tuchel wants to play going forward. If it's 4-3-3, for example, Havertz in that false nine role could link up play and allow Liao as an inside forward on the left-hand side to, to be narrower than you might expect. So a, an understandable target. And look, he was great last year. Chelsea have obviously recognised the potential that he's got. It would make sense to go for him at this stage. Let's just quickly circle back to Lukaku, Graham, because, um, you know, it's, it's clear that he wants that return to Inter. Um, it's been well publicised of late. What do you think is is the likely outcome here? Because from what I've heard, and, and obviously you're in a much better position than I am to comment on this, the, the two clubs are still quite a way apart in terms of their valuation or, or the structure of this potential deal. So where are Chelsea at with Inter in this particular negotiation? Yeah, there is that. I think Inter would rather alone that became permanent. Remember, Chelsea still owe a lot of money on this deal. It hasn't all been paid. So there's a lot of room for negotiation here as to what gets paid off now, who owes what. And, and, and obviously, Lukaku's wages are a major issue as well. He's probably not... Well, we know he isn't going to get the same wages at Inter. And is it does the money come off the fee and then Inter take the whole wages or do Chelsea take some of the wages and Inter pay less fee? There's a, there's a lot of ways for this deal to be done, which is the positive thing if you if if you are into to get this deal done. So yeah, there's just a lot of ways around it, which I think isn't it's not just like two clubs coming out of it cold. They've got the relationship, they owed a lot of money part of the deal, they know what each other wants to pay. So yeah, from my understanding is a lot will come down to Lukaku having to take a wage drop, which he will. But given how much money that Chelsea owe, etc., loyalty payments, I know it always makes me laugh when we hear about footballers and loyalty payments, but things like that will be taken into account. So I think this will happen. Harry, I think you are right. You know, it is into, into loving the wanting back and, and the, the chance of having him and Dybala and maybe even Martinez is mouth-watering for Inter. And you're going to need to pep up that strike force if we want to get the Scudetto back next season. For sure. Uh, let's segue on to Arsenal then, because we've got quite a few bits to discuss with Arsenal. It's obviously uh, a, a really big summer for the Gunners, having failed to miss out, uh, having failed to reach, I beg your pardon, the Champions League at the end of last season. There's a real feeling among the fan base that this needs to be a big summer again. But before we talk about potential incomings, something that will alarm Arsenal fans is the latest around Bukayo Saka's future. Graham, talk to us a little bit about how the negotiations between he and Arsenal are going, if they're going at all, over a new deal. Yeah, they're not going as quickly as or as positively as, as Arsenal would want. Harry, he's out of contract in 2023, which seems to be flavour of the month across the whole footballing world at the minute. They do have an option. so And, and Arsenal, from what I know, they've already told him they're taking up the option if they have to. I'm sure they would rather not have to take up the option and rather do a new deal. The problem is with Saka, as we spoke off air, Harry, is 
he's getting to that level now, a bit like a Declan Rice at West Ham, where it's not just about a new contract, it's not just about finishing top four. Saka is a player who needs to be playing at the top level. And if Arsenal are challenging for the title within 12 months, I don't see how to keep him. And I think the player sort of knows this as well. And and the club, I think, as you, as Arsenal fan, in your heart of hearts, the Arsenal fans would know that and the club know it as well. It's it's just a matter of when do you cash in. We know Man City love him. Um, why wouldn't they fit in that style? I'm told that Real Madrid are taking a very keen interest in his progress as well, as are Liverpool. It's no surprise. You know, Saka is one of those players who is that good. He's going to be able to choose his club. You know, every club in the world will want him. He'll be able to choose his next destination. And unless we see a rapid progress and unless we see a miraculous summer from Arsenal in terms of who they bring in, they are going to bring some good players in. But I don't think it'll be enough to persuade Saka to sign personally. Toby, I'm putting you on the spot, mate, but what would you say Bukayo Saka is worth in the current transfer market? What would be a reasonable fee to demand for a player of his level? Well, as Graham says, he's only got one year officially left on his deal, but okay, they can trigger that to make that two years. I would put him in the bracket of, he's probably a 70 to 80 million pound talent for me. Um, I thought we were going to go one show without talking about Declan Rice, but that that hasn't (laughs) Impossible. Yeah, impossible. I put Declan Rice just above the 100 million bracket, but that's because he plays in central midfield. He does absolutely everything for the team. Whereas I think with wingers and the role that Saka plays, it's not as fundamental to the success of a team. Yes, he plays a huge role, but a box-to-box midfielder, a defensive midfielder, you've got to have that player being absolutely spot on for a top team. Hence why I put Rice in that price bracket. Saka a bit below that, but he's still a fantastic talent. And there was a reason that Gareth Southgate put all that faith in Saka at Euro 2020. Lots of eyebrows were raised when he did that. He'd been good for Arsenal and had emerged as a breakthrough talent. But many people were surprised that Southgate put that faith in him. But 12 months on, he's put the disappointment of the penalty shootout behind him, has had another great season. And as Graham says, if Arsenal don't deliver the success for Saka, even though he's a local boy, and I deep down I think he wants to make a success of things at Arsenal, that would be his number one priority. But he's good enough to play for a Liverpool, for a Manchester City. And if Graham's saying that Real Madrid are interested, then he's going to look at that and think, wow, what an opportunity for me in my career to go and do that. If Arsenal aren't going to progress at the rate that Mikel Arteta would like them to. So, look, if they were to sell him this summer, and I'm not saying they will, I can't see that happening in a million years, but I would anticipate Arsenal could say we want at least 70 million for him. If he was tied down to a four or five year deal, I would push him up to the 100 million bracket, but he's not. So, you know, it's the lower end for me. If you had to guess how this is going to pan out, Graham, would you say that Arsenal will trigger that extension and then hope that next season they can show enough to persuade him to to sign a new deal if it's something that they're not able to do right now? Yeah, I don't think there's any way he goes this summer, no matter what. You know, the Arsenal have got to back themselves to become title contenders and they've got to give themselves that 12 months. It's interesting we speak about Saka being a winger. From my understanding is both City and, and Madrid seem more as a wing-back initially. You know, because we know Saka, as good as he is, he's not going to challenge Vinicius in, in that um, team at Real. And 
we know what City are like going forward with the Fordens, etc. But Saka, you know, it depends where he sees himself. As well. I think he could be, he could be a world class wing back. Not he could be a world class winger, but you know he could he could easily play there. So it's an interesting one where he sees himself as well. Um, obviously, he's played in lots of positions. He can play on both sides as well. He's a stunning talent. And yeah, I, I do agree, Harry. Yeah, there's no way he's leaving the summer. They'll give it till next summer. They'll take up the option. And then it will depend on not just where they finish, it'll depend on the progress, you know, because there's going to be a lot of teams challenging top four. If he, if you finish fifth, but he thinks you're on the cusp of something, possibly he might sign a new deal. But that's a big if. Yeah, that's an sure. interesting point you raised there, Graham. Harry, you've watched a lot of Saka, obviously, at Arsenal. What do you think his best position is as a fan? Because, what he's played left back, he's played left wing back. He played left wing when he first got into the team. He's been playing right wing for most of this season. Where would you actually think is his best role? I think he's at his most effective. I think we've we've seen him on the left wing before, but I think one of his big strengths is his ability to cut in from that right-hand side and sort of open up the pitch in front of him, whether that leads to him taking a shot at goal or picking somebody out. He's just really, really good at pulling into those wide spaces. And when when he receives it, just kind of pinging off the touchline and getting into people's faces. And he's uh, one of the big improvements we've seen in Bukayo Saka this season has been the way he's kind of bulked up and become a lot stronger and a lot more physical in that he can hold off a lot more challenges now. There was always that element of him being a little bit lightweight previously. And now he just seems to have that core strength to be able to hold people off and make a real nuisance of himself. So I would say that's his best position. But as you guys have, have rightly pointed out, his versatility is is one of his big assets. I mean, you mentioned it. He came in initially as a left back. Um, you know, he's played in the number 10 position. He's played from the right. He's played from the left. There's no reason why, if we were stuck for options, Mikel wouldn't consider playing him as the false nine if he had to play a false nine. So he, he gives you those options. And I think that makes him a really uh, attractive prospect to so many for sure. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about some of the potential incomings then uh, at Arsenal because... They're being linked with a lot of players, as they always are. But Graham, talk to us first off a little bit about Yuri Tielemans, because there's a lot of noises coming out that this is a deal that Arsenal are quite confident could happen in the not too distant future. Yeah, we, we've done a piece, Harry, and we managed to get hold of a source close to the club who confirms that intent that the club are pushing ahead with this. They are very confident of getting him. They've spoken to the players' camp at length. You know, Leicester are accepting that the player is going now. He's got a lot of interest from around the world, but you know, I think he fancies the move to London. You know, I think he's ready for this. He's he's long had Arsenal in his sights, Tiedemans, and I think he ticks a lot ticks a lot of boxes for Arsenal. He's, he he didn't not produce for Leicester, but over the last twelve months, I think he's stagnated slightly. So it's it's still a bit of a risk for Arsenal to do it, but you know, there is there is a top class player in there, and I think Mikel Arteta can recognise that. And he's not dissimilar for me how Mikel Arteta used to play as well. So I think if anyone can get the good stuff out of Tielemans, it might very well be Mikel Arteta, but a very similar style of play. So yeah, we think this that'll be done this month, Harry. The the at the moment it's the fee. Arsenal don't want to play pay over twenty five million, which is roughly what Leicester paid for him. Leicester want closer to 30, but yeah, they're not a million miles away. But it looks Arsenal, there is interest from elsewhere um, in the Premier League in Europe, but Arsenal are very much in poor position and the confidence is there that by the time Tiedemans is finished his international duty, which is what, 10 days maybe, that this deal could be on could be on the brink of being done. 
Toby, um, Graham mentioned that he kind of tailed off a little bit last season, and I completely agree with it. I think a lot of people looked at Leicester and Yuri Tielemans as an individual and said, well, that was a bit of an underwhelming campaign. Do you think that's worked to Arsenal's favour? Because they'd be facing a lot more competition for his signature now, wouldn't they, had he had another brilliant season? Absolutely. And look, Graham's just touched on the potential price tag that Arsenal might be getting him for. 30 million is, is ridiculous. Tielemans is worth at least double that, in my opinion. And it's only because of how long he's got left on his contract that Arsenal might be able to pick him up for that amount. Um, Leicester signed him for more than that. And I would agree that Leicester didn't have a terrible, terrible season. They still finished eighth. They did well in the Europa Conference League final. Tielemans was a bit of a victim of the amount of injuries that were around him. Leicester had a load of injuries last year and they also couldn't defend set pieces. If they didn't ship 35 goals or whatever it was from corners and free kicks, they'd have probably been in contention for the top six. And Tielemans, his stock rose after that FA Cup final goal. And I think everybody's expectation of him probably rose along with that. He was a bad performer last year. He, he did okay in a team that were up and down with their consistency. And Graham pointed out that he's similar to Arteta's playing style from when he was at Arsenal. I would agree. And he's the kind of character um, and a good age for what Arsenal need to progress. He's only 25. Um, he could be the person to slot into Arsenal's midfield for the next five, six years for me. Um, and he will get better. I think he hasn't peaked yet. As I say, he's only 25. One bad season doesn't define him as a player and he will be back um, and should be playing Champions League football, really. I think he's that good. So for Arsenal to get him for under 30 million, potentially a great bit of business. Yeah, I totally agree. Totally agree. Um, Graham, let's get your uh, your views on and your understanding of the situation regarding Gianluca Scamacca, another uh, forward player who's been linked with a move to Arsenal, because while the Arsenal fan base were kind of obsessing over Gabriel Jesus over the last few days, these links have emerged. What can you tell us about the Gunners' interest in the Sassuolo man? Yeah, the, the new Italian international, he is very much an Arsenal side. So I like him a lot. I think Arsenal, you probably didn't need two, two forwards at least, Harry, if not more. You know, Nicholas Pepe is going to go as well. There's probably an argument you need, need three. And Skamaka is he's a real Premier League striker for me. I think he's come from... Arguably from nowhere, because, yeah, we haven't heard a lot about him. But when you watch him play, I think he's hugely exciting. I think he's, for me, him and I'd put him only behind Darwin Nunes in the exciting talent. He really is. He's obviously a very, you know, I'm not going to say he's got off-field issues, but there's a lot going on with this lad. He And Arsenal have done the homework on him. But, you know, they've spoken to... Mancini about him. Mancini thinks he's got everything as well to be one of the world's best. And I do. And I think that's where Arsenal, it will be a bit of a gamble, but he has got some of Italy's best after him. But yeah, it's a player who Arsenal loves. They've done a lot of work with him. I think it's helped them or it's relaxed them a little bit seeing him getting called up for Italy and playing international football now. He looks the part as well. So I think that's a bit of a relief. Yeah, you may have to pay £5 million more now he's a full international. But yeah, Arsenal like this boy. And it's one to keep a real eye on. Yeah, they like Jesus and they like a Richarlison as well, who who they've been linked to. And I think they're going for Skamaka ahead with someone like Lautaro Martinez, who I always thought would be one of their main men. But it seems Skamaka is the man they're going for. Interesting stuff. I mean, Toby, he he's a, he's a fantastic player, isn't he? I mean, it'll be exciting to see him in the Premier League. But there is this thing that 
Serie A players don't always translate very well into the Premier League. Would that be of concern to you looking at a player like Skimmer? Yeah, look, he's he's only had one really good season, you would say, and that is last year. He was previously on loan at Genoa. I think he scored 12 in 29 in all competitions where he showed a little bit of potential. And then last season with Sassuolo, he scored 16 goals, all of them in Serie A. But we've seen, OK, I'm comparing Romelu Lukaku to Skamaka here, but he found it easy to score goals in Serie A alongside Lautaro Martinez and interdominated. And Lukaku was billed as kind of a world-beating striker. Came to the Premier League, started off red hot and then faded. Um, that's not to say that that would happen with Skamaka, but there would need to be a bit of expectation, I think, that he would need time to adjust if he did go to Arsenal. Um it would also indicate a potential change in style, maybe, because this lad is six foot five, isn't he? He's not your typical Arsenal centre forward. Um, he's certainly not the mould of Alexander Lacazette already in Ketia. Martin Allen Smith, Martin Allen Smith type player, isn't he, Harry? Yeah, <laughs> big big so, man at the back post. <laughs> yeah, but you know, he's—I would say he's unproven still at this point. That's the only thing I would say is that he is a bit of a gamble. He may have Roberto Mancini's backing, but he's only got that one real season to fall back on. So if I was Arsenal um, and if I was an Arsenal fan, I would be cautiously optimistic, but I wouldn't want the club to overpay for a talent who, as Graham's alluded to, has potentially got some other issues and baggage that he could bring with him. But that's not to say he couldn't make a success of it, but history tells you, you don't just go to another league and seamlessly transition unless you are a top, top star. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. That's my, as an Arsenal fan, kind of reservation around this particular player. Graham, Gabriel Jesus, have you heard anything from the grapevine about this one? Because it's not going away, this rumour. Um, it seems, according to some reports, that negotiations between the player and the club are basically done, but Manchester City is still the issue at the moment with regards to the fee. Is that correct to your knowledge or have you heard something different? It's not necessarily about the fee because City haven't given up on this player yet. City haven't, he hasn't rejected City's latest contract offer. The City are doing everything they can to try and keep him, to persuade him, as we said on previous shows. Pep Guardiola loves this player. Out of the three who are out of contract, um, the three big forwards at City next in 2023, Raheem Sterling, Riyad Mahrez, and Jesus. Jesus is really at the top of the pile who they want to keep. He's only, what, just turned 24 or something like that. He's played in every major game that City have played. That's a clue how highly Pep rates his player. Uh, when I've spoken to people close to Jesus, this isn't a detriment to Arsenal, Harry. I'm still asking the question, why does he want to go to Arsenal, if indeed he does? And I'm not getting any answers back at the moment because for the life of me, I do not understand why he would want to leave City at this point, showing how important he is. Because, and it may be a goal to be a number nine. I don't see him as a number nine personally. I think he's better off coming from out wide, as he does at City. I think he's shown. He's. I think he's a. He's a very, very good centre forward, but he's potentially world class right forward as he's playing at City. So I don't know. I. I think there's still a bit of legs in this one. Yeah, I think. Yeah. And it seems to be a trend at the moment. We've seen players agree in terms of rival clubs, the Sadio Mani's, the Lewandowski's, the Hazels. Yeah, but the big thing is you have to get him out of the club first. And that's not that's easier said than done sometimes. 
And I think it's one where I think Arsenal try, and I think there's a chance, and I don't blame him for going for him. I don't think it's done yet. And um, I'd, I'd keep an eye on other players, such as a Richarlison, a player who we know Arsenal like, they've liked for a long time. His people are very close to Edu. So I think he's a player whose name will come up again, and he may end up being a bit more likely than Jesus. But hey, the, the next big thing for Jesus is seeing what his decision is on this new City contract. If he's rejecting them again, then City aren't stupid. They, they've told all three of these players, if you keep rejecting these deals, we won't sell you. And that's Arsenal's big hope that over the next few weeks, Jesus confirms that he's rejected this latest offer, similar to Sadio Mane, and then that puts Liverpool in that position where they might have to sell. Although the clubs wanting him are going to have to pay the fee. And I still think, I find it hard to believe that City wouldn't ask 50 million still for this guy who's proven himself. So, yeah, there's a lot of legs left in this one, Harry. And I think that's the next big one we need to look out for is Jesus' decision on the contract from City. Do you think he'd want to join Arsenal? And if so, why? If not, then why? I'd be surprised that he'd want to downgrade from Champions League football in all honesty as Graham said he was playing in all of the big games for City towards the back end of last season it might just be posturing in all honesty trying to engineer the best possible deal for City and to just feel out where he stands in the pecking order um, I agree with Graham that he he looks a better player on the right hand side rather than a centre, in the centre forward role um, I think that suits his game more. If he wants to join Arsenal, it can only be, for me, that he wants to be a centre-forward and that would be the role that he would take on at the Emirates. Otherwise, I don't see why he would want to go for Europa League football. No disrespect to that competition. I'm obviously very fond of it after what West Ham have achieved this season. But Jesus would still have a big role to play at City next year. And the season after for me, despite Erling Haaland going in, despite Julian Alvarez being at City as well, among the many, many other options they've got, Jesus is younger than Raheem Sterling. He's younger than Riyad Mahrez. I would far um, envisage those two going out of the door before Jesus. But we may be proven wrong in the coming weeks. It depends how much money Arsenal are willing to put on the table for him as well. Interesting stuff. It's going to be really interesting to see how this one develops, if it does develop into a potential transfer, or if indeed it is, as you guys say, just posturing. There'll be a lot of disappointed Arsenal fans out there if that is the case uh, coming uh, come the end of the window. Let, let's uh, let's move on to uh, Toby's team, West Ham United. And the segue, I guess, to do that from is we're talking about Alexander Zinchenko, who's been linked with both Arsenal and West Ham uh, this summer. Uh, Graham. It, it looks like he's ready to move on this summer, but what is your, you gave me a line about, you know, what it is that Zinchenko's after and it's not money, but there's a position that he wants to play in. Tell us a little bit about what Zinchenko is looking for in his next club. Yeah, he, he want, it's his positional his position, really. He wants to be a centre midfielder. Um, Harry, simple as that. We saw at the end of the season, he, played, he had a big role to play for City. Indeed, in that last game of the season, which I attended against Villa, he came on at half-time and changed that game. He was brilliant on the left. He really was playing that wing-back role. And I think City would do love to keep him. And there's still my But Zinchenko sees himself going forward as, as a centre midfielder. We actually saw in the recent national games against Wales, he, he's a very impressive centre midfielder. He's got a cultured left foot. I could see him 
he's not dissimilar to a Tiedemans, but at 25 now, I think he knows he can play for a top-class club in centre midfield. I think there's probably only, in England, there's probably only two or three clubs where he probably wouldn't get in centre midfield. But I think that what might put off the West Ham and the Arsenal's and paying, what, 40, 50 million for him as a centre midfielder, we haven't seen that much of him in centre midfield, have we? And he arrived at the club and he almost joined Wolves, if you remember, was it probably three years ago now? Wolves almost signed him as a centre midfielder. I think he'd be worth the risk in centre midfield. I think... I think he plays lovely. He's got an eye for he's up and down. He's got an eye for a pass. He's got an eye for a goal as, as Will's almost saw at the weekend. A very interesting one, this one. I think it's just where I think we may see him going abroad because I think the 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 psyche of it in with him in England is he'd always get switched to the left. He, we always know he can play wing back. We always, so I think if he really wants that centre midfield berth, he may have to go abroad. But yeah, I think he is looking to move, and we understand it is as a central midfielder. And I guess you two guys could argue. I'm not sure that either of your two clubs would. You would welcome him in, but I'm not sure as a centre midfielder. You two could answer. I'm not so sure. Well, I've Don't watched um, a lot of Zinchenko for the Ukraine and. That's always been his role for the national team, has been in central midfield. And he is brilliant, technically. I can't remember which City player it was who was interviewed last week, but somebody was asked about the top three Manchester City players in terms of skills and ball control and that kind of thing. And the first player they named was Zinchenko. And you think of the talent that Manchester City have got, but Zinchenko was the first player that was named. Um, Pep Guardiola has called him incredible in the past. I think he showed when he came on against Villa at half-time, what he can do going forward and he can influence games. The one thing that he struggles with, like many left-backs in the modern game, is the defensive side of it. I think he is a great wing-back. He's not a very good left-back. And in City's penultimate game of the season, they played West Ham. It ended in a 2 all draw, but West Ham took a 2-0 lead and Zinchenko was at fault positionally for both of the goals that Jared Bowen scored. So that kind of highlighted why City may need to recruit in that area because it's not a particularly strong position for them. But Zinchenko going forwards, he's got a wonderful left foot. He's got a very good range of passing. I actually think he would be a good fit at West Ham because he's more of a central midfielder who likes to get forwards as an attacking midfielder. And that would allow Declan Rice, if he does stay this summer, and Thomas Socek to do the roles that they're currently doing. Um, And just to bolster West Ham's midfield a little bit more, I wouldn't pay over the odds for Zinchenko, but I think he'd be a very smart signing. Um, And if he didn't go to West Ham, I would anticipate the queue of clubs looking to bring him in and to give him that central midfield role to be quite, quite lengthy. I mean, for me, from from an Arsenal perspective, when I I first heard about the Zinchenko link, the thing that appealed to me was... 50% 50% what he can do in centre midfield, but 50% of what he can do at left-back, and that's fill in. Because at Arsenal, we've been plagued with this Kieran Tin issue ever since we signed him. You know, he's always out injured. He's always missing for long periods of time. And I think it's become apparent over the course of last season that Nuno Tavares is not quite there yet as the man that can deputise. So, to me, part of the Zinchenko appeal was the fact that he can play in both of those positions. So if, as you say, Graham, he's got no interest in playing at left-back at any point, then I don't think that that's necessarily the right move for Arsenal, given what it will probably cost. Um, just while we're on the subject of, of West Ham, Graham, is there anybody else um, that that you know they're sort of pursuing? They're still interested in Rafinha, we hear. 
Yeah, it is the um, interesting. They are looking at the uh, Rafinha. They looked at him in January. They are keeping an eye on that situation. You know, Barcelona obviously have been in talks with Rafinha. They were very keen on when it looked like Leeds were going down. They could get him for 25, 30 million. So he he is one who Barcelona are want, still wanting. Deco's driving this deal. But at 60 million, Barcelona are umming and erring a little bit. The Barcelona have got so many deals they're involved with, you know, at the moment. They're trying to get Gavi finalised, you know, there's people going out like De Jong, who we may touch on in a little bit. But Rafinha is one who is attracting interest. Now, West Ham tried to sign him in January. Well, they made a bid for him. Some people will debate whether they were how serious they were, but they did make a bid, same as Calvin Phillips. And yet, Rafinha is one I keep an eye on. You know, I think you may even see a Newcastle that just to strengthen their interest as well. But basically, he's going to leave Leeds. He's not going to get the contract he wants off Leeds United. And so West Ham's a very interesting prospect here. West Ham themselves are slightly worried about the Jared Bowen situation. And I would be very worried if Sadio Mane does leave. I'd be very worried if I was West Ham fans because we know Jurgen Klopp is a confirmed Jared Bowen fan. He has been from the outset, almost from the day he signed for West Ham. Klopp has confirmed his admiration for Bowen. I think he'd be a perfect replacement for Manny. But that aside, yeah, Rafinha is is a player West Ham are liking. And I think if they think they could get him for 50, 60, I think they think that's his value. Um, that's about right, which I agree with. So, yeah, I think it'd be a very interesting option for West Ham going forward. I think some of their fans would rather than maybe a centre-forward backup, but Rafinha, is a, he's a top-class player. He really is. We've seen, we've seen some wingers get linked with moves. We've seen Alisson Maximum, for instance, um, linked with Tottenham, one of the biggest frauds in the Premier League, in my opinion. But Rafinha is an absolute step above. He, he's potentially world-class Rafinha. And in a system like West Ham, he, he could come good, more so than at Leeds. Graham, uh, let's get the latest uh, from Leeds United. Obviously, narrowly avoided relegation. Um, Rafinha, Calvin Phillips being linked with moves away. Uh, they're being linked with Rasmus Christensen from Salzburg. Uh, talk to us uh, a little bit about what's going on at Leeds. Yeah, they've always secured Brandon Aronson, a very good player from Salzburg. And looks like his teammate, Rasmus Christensen, a Danish, I believe, from memory. Danish international right back, very good player. Brentford was looking strongly at Sky and a few others, but Leeds have moved to get him. Jesse Marsh pulling his RB strings um, to get this guy in ten million pound. And and I'm not I'm not dismissing this, but I think Leeds fans should be looking at this and thinking, yeah, ten million. That's probably where Leeds are shopping at the minute for a ten million pound. They're competing with Brentford, and I think that signals the intent of probably where we're looking at Rafinha and Phillips. You know, these two guys, if Leeds want Rafinha and Phillips to stay. Sign new deals again, like we like we said with Saka Harry early in the show. You have to show them the progress. You have to show them where you're going. And I like the Aronson deal. I like Christensen. But where where is that saying Leeds are going at the minute with these new owners? We think the 49ers are going to come in and buy the club completely within the next 12 months. I think that points to the fact that Leeds are going to be happily to finish mid table next season. And that's not where Calvin Phillips and Rafinha want to be, it's not where they deserve to be and it's not where I think they will be on the back of that we've discussed Rafinha, West Ham we know Bar- um, Barcelona wouldn't surprise me to see the likes of United and Liverpool, even Arsenal sniff around Rafinha and the same with Phillips, you know, although with Calvin Phillips we do know that Man City are doing the homework on him, 
they're looking at the background. It's what Man City do. They're looking to the mentality of the player, his how how he operates off the field, even more so than on the field. We all know how he operates on the field, but this is what the big clubs do. This is what people like Pep do. A bit like Sir Alex back in the day. He wants to know what he's doing off the field almost as much as what he does on the field. And I think that's a clear sign that City are ready to step up their interest in Phillips. And, and, I, and I personally do think, you know, I... I still think they should push the ball out and go for Declan Rice. I know Toby doesn't want to hear that ever, but I think City should do that. If not, I think I love Calvin Phillips as well. And I think that Phillips is someone to need. I thought at times, Roger had a very good season, but in some of those games where they could have really put stopped the opposition, I'm not sure how Rodri, how good he is as a stopper. He's a very good distributor of the ball. He wins it. But can he stop the opposition when he needs to? Can he get that hard tackle? I'm not sure. And I think we saw in the games against Real Madrid, you know, with Fernandinho at his peak was capable of doing that. He was one of the best. And I think Phillips will be that real Fernandinho replacement where it might not always be going right for City, but he's one coming there and be that strength in the midfield. So, I think we'll see City step up at Calvin Phillips' interest, and I think he'll be absolutely brilliant for them. You know, he really will step it up, and and who knows what we see with Rodri? I, I do wonder. And a few Man, Man City friends and in the press have speculated maybe that Rodri might end up stepping into central defence, like Javi Martinez did it by Mu by Munich, um, very similar players. But yeah, Calvin Phillips to City. Uh, is um, an interesting one, and I, but I think it'll be a superb signing. I really do. But City are firmly in full position for Calvin Phillips as we speak. Does that mean that Manchester United are out of the equation because they've been heavily linked with him as well? Um, I think United are just going about it a different way. I think Frankie de Jong is their number one target, Harry. They're pressing really hard for him. I think United have been very clever to see this as the opportunity to get de Jong, a world-class performer on his day, out and, and to be honest, I don't think De Jong would leave for anyone else other than Eric Ten Hag. The fact they've got Eric Ten Hag, he played his best football under him at Ajax. He can go and play alongside his very good friend, Donny van der Beek. And I think United love that prospect as well of having, it was um, a misfit transfer gone wrong. Suddenly that can come back to light now that van der Beek and De Jong could slip into that United midfield and transform things. So, yeah, in terms of the Phillips one, plus I'm not sure that Calvin Phillips would ever have gone to Manchester United. He's a Leeds, through, he's a Leeds man through and through. And for him to go to United would have upset an awful lot of people, including many members of his family. And I don't believe that Calvin Phillips would have gone to United at any point anyway. He'd just be moving from one mid-table club to another, wouldn't he? I mean, Scott's, <laughs> Scott's not here, so he can't defend himself. So there's no point going to United because what are they competing there in the Europa League next year? That's no fun. It's all about the conference. It's, it's a valid point. It really, really is. Um, Graham, what else is kind of going on at Manchester United? We, we touched on De Jong there, but there's Darwin Nunez, there's there's Timber of Ajax. Are, are any of these close to being completed and negotiations progressing on, on any of these fronts? Yeah, there's lots lots going on with United. The, the main foreign, Nunez, um, through George Mendes, he's trying to do that deal. We, we've had Liverpool interest coming up in the last few weeks, which isn't a big surprise given what's happened with Sadio Mane. But I think Mendes would, is working on a United deal quite strongly. We see, we've seen Timber and Pau Torres. We do wonder what st- sort of style that United are going to play. We don't know yet. you know. But I think the fact he wants them two ball-playing players to come in, I think tells us a lot. And you know, De Jong is a big one. And it's what you can get what, what players they can get rid of, you know. There's an awful lot of players to, to to go. 
But I think the captaincy is an interesting one as well. We need to touch on it. We 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 did a story a few months ago about how United were set to open talks with David De Gea, and I think we'll see that one accelerate in terms of him staying. We know there's this thing with Dean Henderson moving. Newcastle confirming, denying stuff with him. I still think we'll see Henderson move on at some point. Um, we'll see where to. But with De Gea, keep an eye on that one. He, he might end up being their new captain, I think. And there aren't many candidates. <laughs> to be There's not many candidates stepping up. But I think he may... I, I don't think it's stripping Mario Maguire of the captaincy. I think he's probably just lifting that weight of expectation off his shoulders, if anything. And I think... That's a nice way of playing it, group. That's a really yeah. nice... Really. But I do, I do wonder. We see Maguire playing. I do wonder if he's considering a back three. We said this. He's looking at Torres and Timber, two players. He's got Varane. And I, I do wonder if he's looking at a back three at some point. And it'd be interesting to see how this plays out. If he did do that, Graham, it's a quicker way to shore up the problems that United have got to move into a back three because mm-hmm. that can mask the deficiencies they have and at least give Ten Hag what three or four transfer windows to to fix things and gradually bring in the players that he wants rather than all of the pressure being on this summer, which is what it feels like. Ten Hag is going in and everybody expects him to bring in everyone this summer and that's how he will be judged, where it can't happen that way. They might get one or two good signings in this summer, De Jong being the main one for me that I think they need, Um, but he needs time to be able to build at United and switching to a back three is not something that big teams generally do. Um, It's seen as kind of getting by, isn't it? Tuchel's done it at Chelsea with the resources that he had, but ultimately playing a back four is what most teams or most big clubs want to do. Um, But that wouldn't stop United from doing what's necessary for for short-term gain. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, guys, I think we've come towards the end uh, of today's uh, edition of Talking Transfers. Is there anything that either of you want to add just to make sure I haven't missed anything? I am just stepping in for the uh, brilliant Scott. So I uh, want to make sure that we haven't missed anything. Anything to add, Graham or Toby? Well, I think we've covered United, which is always the main thing to do when Scott's here. It's, um, Newcastle's, I said, Newcastle is the one to keep an eye on. We'll keep an eye on them. They should be concluding some deals from what I'm told this week. There's a, they're missing out on Sven Botman, we believe he's going to... That's, that's, that's become a saga for some reason, that one. It's, it was a main man. He was going to Milan, he wasn't, which allowed Newcastle to come back in. But we do believe he's, he will be signed for AC Milan with Renato Sanchez in a nice double deal from Lille for AC Milan. But keep an eye on Newcastle this week. We expect um, a couple of deals maybe within the next week for them. But as, as ever, Newcastle's keeping us on, on our toes. For sure. Toby, anything to add, mate? No, just, I guess, one final thought on Leeds. Um, Graham mentioned Rafinha and Calvin Phillips' willingness to stay at a club that will ultimately ultimately be in mid-table next season. And look, Marcelo Bielsa did a fantastic job in that first season to get Leeds where they were. Last season was the reality check of actually how good their squad is. Um, I envisage another season of relative struggle for Leeds. And as Graham alluded to, Rafinha and Calvin Phillips are too good to be a part of that. So at least one to move on for me this summer, if not both. I think Phillips at City would be a great fit um, for the reasons that Graham's discussed. And Rafinha at West Ham, I would take it. Um, If West Ham can find a way to stagger that £60 million plus payment, great. Um, Because he is world-class on his day. Has a few anonymous games where you want a little bit more from him, but... He's got that X factor. 
And with a bit of luck, West Ham could potentially investigate doing a deal and Barcelona can tie themselves in the other 35 million transfers they're trying to complete and they'll forget about that one. You might come back in for more time. We saw West Ham in for Phillips and Rafinha. That would be somewhere to... Uh... If you, if you went back to Leeds and did that, obviously we know Leeds want about 110 million for the pair. Be a nice investment for West Ham. It would, and we and we won't be using any Declan Rice money to do it. I'll, I'll add that on. He, he's staying this summer. He's just coming out of the bank balance. <laughs> Fantastic stuff, guys! Uh, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening uh, to this week's edition of Talking Transfers. Don't forget. Uh, to leave a review on whichever podcast provider you are listening to the show from. We're available on all major podcast stores. Uh, head over to 90min.com as well, uh, so where you can read all the stories that we've been discussing and keep across uh, all the brilliant work that the editorial team are doing on a daily basis. We'll be back very soon with more. Until next time, take care. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.